Hello, welcome to the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show, I am so excited to share with you an interview that we did recently with John Thompson. John is the senior pastor of Sanctus Church in the greater Toronto area, and he's the author of the book Convergence, and he has recently released another book called Deliverance. And today we are diving into Deliverance. The subtitle for Deliverance is A Journey Toward the Unexpected. And that is exactly what this interview is. I love this description of uh, Deliverance, that it is a theological and experiential journey in dealing with evil so people can be set free to live as Jesus promised. And when you begin to talk about spiritual warfare, when you begin to talk about the reality of of demonization and things like that instantly people can split into their camps instantly people can split into their denominations and so many times we roll our eyes at things like this especially in the western part of the world Um, we have just been in my opinion deceived into thinking that we've moved on from things like this but when you look at the pages of scripture This kind of reality, this unseen spiritual reality, is as normal as the air that we breathe. And so I'm just so thankful that John, one, took the time to do this, but two, for the work that he's put in to help the church in this area. The church of Jesus needs help in this area. And so sit back, listen, let this interview stretch you and share it with others, have a conversation around it. Um, But let's not wait anymore. Let's dive right into John Thompson talking deliverance on today's Churchology Podcast. Yay. All right. Well, today on the show, we are excited to talk to John Thompson. John, how are you today? I'm I'm good. I'm actually a little sore. So I didn't tell you this, but a week ago, I had a terrible fall. I was taking my dogs out, went in the air, fell on three steps, hospital thought my lung had collapsed so my whole back is black and blue but i'm here i have nothing broken my lung didn't collapse i'm doing this today then i'm flying out to the west coast tomorrow to vancouver and then into portland to preach so you know it's another day during the covid crazy (laughs) oh my goodness all right yes well well, John, we are here uh, to to jump in to uh, a, a book that you you've you've released, and it's called Deliverance. And yep. I would love to hear as we dive in. I would love to hear what led you to write this book uh, called Deliverance about deliverance from demonic spiritual powers. Yeah, sure. So, just a little background, maybe for your audience, that would help too. So, I've been in one church for 23 years, because probably most of your listeners are American. I'm Canadian, so you and I live in a totally different world, literally <laughs> yes. a totally different world. Uh, I live in the most multicultural city on earth. So, I don't know if you know this, but Toronto, Toronto is the fourth largest country, uh, fourth largest city in North America. Uh, a lot of Americans are shocked by that. There's over six and a half million people in this city. 300 heart languages are spoken here every single day. And so not London, not New York, not Singapore. Toronto is the most multicultural city on earth. And I'm leading a a multi-site, multicultural church on the east side of Toronto. And so uh, my context is a little different, but it informs us. So I was the youth pastor here. I was the young adults pastor here. I became the senior pastor here at 30. And what's interesting to give an American abbreviation, 
we basically are sort of like evangelical free. If that gives people sort of the category to think about Chuck Swindoll and friends Mm -hmm. down in the South Um, and not charismatic, uh, um, classically, historically, a little willow, but not fully willow. And then all this stuff started happening. When I was a youth pastor here, student after student started coming to me and saying, I'm having these experiences. And as they began to dissect the experience, uh, it was beyond psychology, beyond mental illness. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And we had no category and we didn't want to deal with it. The weird Pentecostals down the street dealt with that stuff. We thought they were wrong anyways. We'll hang out with them in heaven, but we didn't want to touch this stuff with a 10 foot pole and God wouldn't let us not deal with it. So this whole conversation for us started in the trench as a pastor, trying to help people asking for help. Uh, Fast forward 23 years. This book is the culmination of 20 years of a conservative church wrestling through legal, mental, spiritual, relational, theological, uh, practical. How do you help someone in the context of a community, not segregated out when the demonic are really present? How do you do that well? What systems do you need? What theology do you need? How do you do this well in a long-term church? How do you make certain, what mistakes have we made? And the middle point in my journey is I actually did my doctorate in missiology. So in cross, cross-cultural connections at Fuller and 13 years after we've been doing this ministry, I went to Fuller to do my doctorate to theologically evaluate if I had been doing heresy for 10 years. Because when you're in the trench, you're trying to help people. Well, you're reading as much as you can but there's very little time for reflection. Mm. So the book that you've got in front of you is my story. It's our church's story. And it's a very, because you've read it, it's a significant theological uh, working through this. This is not a, hey, we had an experience. We're writing a book. This is like, no, no, no. Let's start with the scriptures. Let's go to church history from church history. What have people done right? What have people done wrong? What are the biases? And how have we try to flesh this out in a healthy way? And like, you know, in the book, we say to people, And what works here is not going to work where you are in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. There's this incarnational, how do you work this out in each culture? And why this is cool, we got to write it here, is this is the most multicultural city on earth. So we're pivoting between multiple cultures all the time, which is really cool. And so you, you just mentioned it there. This is not you know, your one experience and we wrote a book. This is not even something. Oh, no. You know, this is not even something that's in, in some hidden corner of the scriptures. And we've really got to find this. Can, can you help us to understand how prevalent is this in the scriptures? Yeah. So uh, it's massively prevalent when you just open your eyes. You know what I find so funny for we who are, uh, I'll say historic confessional biblical Christians, the word evangelical, sometimes that word, we fought for the authority of scripture. This is the thing that blows my mind. We yeah. were the ones that said that this was either, depending where you come from, the sole or ultimate source for faith, life, and practice. And we defended it and we fought liberalism and did all this stuff. And then we don't actually believe what we defended. That, <laughs> that's what blows yeah. my mind. So, so in narrative theology, which you're looking for the grand arcs in scripture, like covenant, sin, salvation. One of the ones that never talked about is the satanic. So in the very first passage that references the demonic is Genesis 1, verse 2. And see, that's, that's the, the second verse in the Bible mm. is the beginning of the conversation. And the last reference is in Revelation 20. And if you actually do the bookends together, and I'll just do this real quick to get people thinking. And as I was joking with my friend here before, don't hit the heresy alert too quick 
slow down and just listen to what I need to say. <laughs> in Genesis 1-2, most of us, you know, read the story where the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaotic waters. The thing that confused me in my Baptist Sunday school was where God hadn't made water yet. Mm. So how was there water? And I never understood that. And then if you read it in Hebrew, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the destructive, chaotic, dangerous waters. And you're like, what the heck is that? And then you go to the book of Revelation, and it says the new heaven and the new earth come down, right? In Revelation 20, 21. And there's this phrase, and there was no sea. And I was like really angry at God. I was like, hold on a second. I love the sea. I thought that in the new heavens and the new earth, because I'm not a guy who believes we're just up there. I think he's going to make down here right. I wanted to, you know, get my hair back in the resurrection, probably get a body I've never had and go surfing like, you know, a little bit at least. I mean, I'm, I'm not one of those guys who think it's all a golf course, but I was like, I was hoping. What do you mean there's no sea? But when you read Hebrew thinking, the sea is always connected, always connected to these demonic anti-creational beasts in the Old Testament, Leviathan. Uh, behemoth, yam, ram, there's, they're all through there. And, and what's wild is, of course, in Baptist circles, we were taught, oh, those are dinosaurs. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. Read your theology, read, read Hebrew literature, read Canaanite literature. These are supernatural beings that resist God. And so Genesis 1-2, you have the spirit of God hovering over this chaotic, dangerous water, and right through the Old Testament, there's always this reference to these beings that God subdues, like in Job and the Psalms, Leviathan, right? And then you get to the New Testament and like all these pigs are going in the water. That's really weird. I wonder what's going on. And then you get the revelation. So my point is this, from the second verse in the Bible to the very end, this is prevalent all the way through. There are 300 references to the demonic in some form in the Bible in a very direct way. So we don't need to glorify Satan. But this sort of conservative thing that if we talk about it too much, that we're giving Satan too much attention is unbiblical mm. because it's there in the script. It's there in the text. So it's how we deal with it that matters, not the subject matter itself. I think one of the things that that really stood out to me in your book, I, I don't have the exact page in front of me, but but you you say something that as you're going through how we see this in the Gospels, we see it in Mark and yep. Matthew and Luke. Yep that this is how Jesus saw reality, that, right. that Jesus saw reality as, as there is this war, this, this demonic kingdom that's, that's making its way into our world. And that's, could you unpack that, that, that this is just how Jesus saw reality. And if we want to see reality the way that Jesus does, then we need to lean into this, not dismiss it, lean into yeah, it. So, yeah. So here's one of the most important things that evangelicals need to recover. It's a biblical worldview. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And so, so here's what's shocking. Now, again, you and I are in different places. I am living in a de-Christian, post-Christian country in a way that is coming to all of you. Please get ready, yeah. but it's not there yet. So we're at least 20 years ahead in the sexual revolution and secularization and all of that. We're much closer to England. So we are your future. I keep saying this to my brothers and sisters in the States. Guys, you want to know what your future looks like? Talk to leaders up here and in London, and then you'll know what you're going to deal with in the next 20 years. Mm. And one of the things that's so beautiful in a post-Christian moment is actually the post-Christian culture believes the Bible more than Christians. They just have the wrong angle. Mm. So Jesus didn't walk on the scene and go, oh my goodness, there are demons. And everyone went, oh my goodness, he sees demons. If you read the gospels, 
all they say about Jesus is he dealt with them differently, but everyone believed it. Mm -hmm. And if you read the Old Testament carefully, and if you get the book, I unpacked this from the Old Testament to the 400 years of silence into the new, this is the reality that the Jewish worldview is what we call an organic worldview, not a mechanical universe. So some of your, your readers or your hearers will know about deism, that idea that there's a God, he's the great clockmaker, he wound things up and walked away, we've got a bunch of laws, but he really doesn't interfere. That's, that's and lots of Christians in the founding of your country actually believe that, your founding fathers. That's not Christianity uh, at all, you know, because we obviously believe that Jesus was involved and God's involved. So an organic view of the universe is there is a God and he's the ultimate God. And then there are angels and there are demons and there are human beings and there are animals and there is creation. And organically, they are interacting with each other all the time. So it's not that the laws of nature are thrown out, but there's this middle point that is very prevalent and very involved that is just reality. And so the biblical worldview is angels, demons, uh, God, humans, and animals, all different, all, all different beings, but are relationally interacting. And what's really scary, especially in conservative evangelical churches, is there's this huge underground river of experiences that everyone's having, but the pastor doesn't talk about it from the front, so they don't know what to do with it, so they just don't talk about it. Because maybe they're crazy, or maybe it's psychological, or maybe I'm not a Christian, but all of that middle ground stuff is still happening. And we just need to say, that's reality. It's just reality. Experience isn't dangerous. It just needs to be interpreted. Mm. Yeah, That's the critical thing. The Bible never tells us to dismiss experience. Most conservative evangelicals are suspicious of experience. But Paul tells us, Jesus tells us, Moses tells us, Elijah tells us that experience is fundamental to the human condition. The question is, what is the source? So the image I always use is of a plug. And the question in front of you is not, is it weird? Because if your starting point is weird is bad, you need to throw out your Bible. Yeah. Uh, hmm. <laughs> weird is normal in the Bible. The question is, where's the weird coming from? Is it the tacos you ate last night? Is it mental illness? Is it Jesus? Is it the demonic? Or is it a mix of some of them? That's the stuff you got to work out. Yeah. And so this is just, this is just normal. This is just the normal way normal. Jesus saw the world yep. and that we should see the world. Yeah. And this, this, especially because of where you are living, mm -hmm. um, I need to say again, especially to overly white evangelicals, stop saying, well, the devil functions like that over there, but differently here. It's not mm. true. It's not true. Never put racial overtones to this conversation. It's the stupidest thing you can do. The amount of people that read their horoscope in Kentucky is no different than what's <laughs> happening somewhere in Singapore. So can we just stop making it almost like those poor stupid people over there? Actually, it's a global condition. We're all under the same condition. Because never forget, Paul's clear. Second Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I'll ask your readers, do you actually believe that? Yeah. And if they're an ESV reading conservative Christian, they're like, of course I do. I'm like, really? So you believe positionally, every non-Christian on earth is positionally possessed, not internally, by the demonic, their own. They can't see Jesus, can't see the gospel. They're owned by the other side. 
because that's the truth about your nice neighbor who goes to church. That's the truth about a Hindu, a Muslim, a Sikh, a witch, agnostic, agnostic, like fill in the blank. If they're not in contact with Jesus, that's their position. That's the thing we need to recover. That's just a biblical worldview. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. That's, I mean, it's just what it says. That's exactly how the Bible speaks. And so we should just lean into that. It's exactly, that way. We should just be like, okay. So, and then people are like, oh, why do I find evangelism so hard? Well, maybe because they're blind and spiritually dead. Yeah. Maybe there's a force that my brother can't actually see Jesus because, or I, oh, I invited him to Alpha. And it's so hard. Why is it so hard for him to come? And it's like, well, maybe something else is going on. Mm. Maybe this isn't just intellectual. Maybe this isn't just about if you're a Democrat or Republican to say to you all down there. Maybe something much yeah. deeper is afoot. That's good. That's good. So let's dive in. We, we talked about this before we started. We want to give plenty of time to this. I, I, I do want to ask the question yeah. because one of the things, so it, I'm sure somebody listening or watching this already thought about this, asked the question, okay, mm -hmm. well, well, what about Christians? Can Christians be possessed? And yeah, you okay. talk about that in the book. You give a lot of space to that in the book. And, uh -huh. and you actually say that that question is not the best way to approach this. And so, so yep. what is wrong with that question and what's a better question to ask? Great. So I'm so glad you asked it. And so I want to say this as I get going. I am a Trinitarian Christian. <laughs> I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe in heaven and hell. I can say the Apostles' Creed. I believe scripture is the ultimate source for faith, life, and practice. So just so your audience knows, I'm one of those guys. Mm -hmm. And I even an expository preacher who goes verse by verse. So someone out there is going to even like that better. So here's my point. Let me start in the book of Ephesians, and then I'm going to go to Acts and back to Ephesians, okay? Number one, you've got to distinguish the difference between upstairs theology and downstairs theology. And most conservative Christians are really good upstairs and really sucky downstairs. So let me work, work this out, okay? Now, I'm also, I'll put my cards on the table. I'm also a Calvinist. Now, you might not be, and that's fine. It's okay. Someone's going to find out in heaven who's right and wrong. I'm fine with that. I'm not an angry one. I'm just, a, I'm, a, I'm a happy one. But here's the important thing. Upstairs theology says that when you accept Jesus Christ, you're in. So if you read Ephesians 1, my favorite passage, what does it say? If you go basically from verse 5 right to the end, it says you're predestined, you're elected, you're chosen, you're adopted. Jesus basically becomes your savior, your brother. It says you're redeemed, which is a, is a profound word, right? You're bought out of the kingdom of darkness, bought out of sin. And then it says that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I know you've probably preached on this. And you're sealed until the day of redemption, which is the return of Jesus. And so it is my favorite, favorite passage. It's like, you want to build your identity in Jesus? Ephesians 1. That's all upstairs theology. Does that make sense as I'm working this absolutely. out? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So far? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So when God the Father sees me, God the Father sees me through his son, Jesus, and sees the spirit in me. So I am chosen. I'm elected. I'm bought. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. And I'm sealed. And resurrection is guaranteed. And it's not, that, that's awesome. And then you go to Ephesians 2, and it gets even better in the first seven verses where it says, and also I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Incredible. Like, Incredible upstairs theology uh, ephesians 3 i think it's verse 10 that says that the church is the manifest wisdom to the principalities and powers of the world in other words the worst broken down little church on earth is the billboard that satan still lost I, I love that so that's all upstairs theology the question is can all that be true upstairs and bad things happen down here that's what this is mm -hmm. really talking about 
Make sense so far? Absolutely. Or let me put it like this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse two, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. Now you're a pastor. Would you say the Corinth church was a healthy church? <laughs> it, 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 it seems to have had some issues. Yeah. Some issues sleeping with mother-in-laws and all, you know, <laughs> yeah. worshiping demons and misusing communion. And yeah, but here's the crazy thing that Paul says in first Corinthians chapter one, verse two, he says to those who are saints in yes. Corinth, hmm. to you who are sleeping with your mother-in-law and misusing tongues and misusing prophecy and still going to feast you're not supposed to, and actually worshiping demons, he says, uh, he says to you who are saints, be holy. So to you who are holy, be holy. And that's a positional statement. I'm a saint upstairs, but I got to work this out downstairs. Okay. That's just, so anyone listening who's concerned is going, amen, amen, amen. We're good upstairs. Here's where I'm going to throw the grenade. And here's where either the light bulb is going to come on or the pitchfork's going to come out. And that's fine. Uh, and I, I got time to do this, right? Can I do this? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask your audience. I know it's a podcast. I'm not preaching. But I'm going to ask your audience, either they might have you version on their phone or get a Bible. I want you to turn to Luke 13. So I'm going to do a pre-cross conversation and a post-cross conversation. And this really, really matters. So there's this woman uh, in Luke 13. And it's it starts in verse 10. It says, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit. Notice, right? For 18 years. She was bent over and could not be straightened up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward. Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her. Immediately, she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, the pastors were angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work. Come and be healed on those days. Uh, not on the Sabbath. Jesus is back. You hypocrites. Wow, very loving. Uh, doesn't each of you untie your donkey or your ox from the stall and leave it get water? Then you, then should you not, should you not, this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day, would bound her. When he said this, he uh, humiliated his opponents. And the people were delighted. Okay. So, because this is a quick podcast, I just, I'm going to unpack this. Number one, this is really important. This woman was in church every Saturday. You didn't just go to synagogue. You, you, you had to be part of the community. It's not just like our churches where, hey, you're new today. You belong here. Here's your free coffee and your flower to say you're new. Like, no, 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 no. This woman was in community, in right community. Second of all, she sat under God's word every Saturday. And I just want to say to all of our conservative friends, is the Old Testament God's word? Yes. Is it alive and active? Is it inspired? Yes. So this woman is in right community. She's part of God's chosen people. She's in worship services. And yet for 18 years, she is bound by a spirit that gives her a physical deformity. Now, I'm just going to ask you, because you're the host, who wrote the book of Luke? What was his oh. job? Oh, he's a physician. He's a doctor. Yeah. Hey, he's a doctor. Yeah. And here's yeah. the crazy thing. If you read this in the original language, when he talks about the back issue, it's the same language they use today in medical textbooks. She mm -hmm. had reversed hunchback so she had a ball of bone where she couldn't straighten up because it was at her spine so this is still a condition today and it's and luke says i'm a doctor i know that condition it's this except jesus says but the condition is because there's a demon outside of her or inside of her in her hmm. 
So here's the wild thing. Every, keep with me, everyone. Keep with me. Jesus says that this woman is called what? There's, she's, she's called something. A daughter of Abraham. Now, here's the wild thing about this. Here's when the light bulb goes on. This is the only time a woman is called the daughter of Abraham in the whole New Testament. Whole, whole New Testament. In Lucan theology, because Luke has a particular bent, he only uses this phrase to mean one who is saved. Not one who is Jewish, not one who is covenantally right, one who is saved. When Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he, met Jesus and repented. What did Jesus say to Zacchaeus when he was in his house? Today, you have truly become a son of Abraham. Mm. In the book of Acts, in chapter, I think, 15, Paul says the people of Poseidon Antioch were truly sons of Abraham because they tested the word of God and found that it was true. So when you see son of Abraham or daughter of Abraham in Luke, it always means one who is actually saved, to use Christian language. So this woman in church, under the word of God, in right community, and is saved, has something in her that gives her this condition. Mm. Uh-oh. So this leads us to the next thing. Okay, we're going to do this little thing. Uh, some of you are listening, but some of you are watching. Okay, what am I, we're just going to do this. What am I holding in my hand? Your glasses. My glasses. And if I say to you, these are my glasses, what do you think I mean? That they belong to you. Yeah, they belong to you. Yes, yes, yeah. So I'll use a stronger word. I own them mm -hmm. or I possess them. They're mine. So here's the problem. <laughs> Here we go. Every single time you see the word possessed in the English Bible, every time, you all think immediately what? Ownership. And we go, well, that's impossible. I can't be a daughter of Abraham or a son of Jesus Christ, you know, like, uh, like God's son owned by Jesus Christ, because I can't be possessed by the devil because I am owned by who? By Jesus, Jesus yeah. by, by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1. But here's the problem. The Greeks had not one, not two, not three, not four. They had five words for ownership. They were so into owning things. In their language, in Konane Greek, they have five different words that talk about owning things. Here's the crazy thing. In the New Testament, every time you see the word possessed, not one of those words is used. Hmm. All it says in the Bible, in the original language, is they had, they were vexed, they were tormented. It never says they were owned. Hmm. Okay. So you got a woman who is owned by God and yet has a demonic being influencing her inside, but not possessing her. So I'm going to keep unpacking this. Oppression is the devil tells me do this bad thing outside. Possession is ownership. Demonization just means to have. Now I know, I know, because I've done this for a long time. There's someone with a very large Bible getting ready to tweet something. Because they're going, that's all pre-cross. That's fine. So remember how we started in Ephesians? Let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians, would you say as a fellow pastor that Ephesians is written to Christians? Yes. Yeah. 100%. And if you're a Calvinist like 
They're doubly dipped. They're in. Predestined, <laughs> elected, saved, day of redemption, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And then chapter one, chapter two, right? Chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. He's trying to work at husbands and wives, churches and leaders, slaves and masters, how this unity thing happens. And then chapter six, of course, is the great standard on how we stand in a day of evil, because Ephesus, of course, is the heart of the occult in the ancient world. But in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, he says to those saved, redeemed, chosen, predestined people, in your anger, do not sin and give the devil a what? A foothold, yeah. Foothold. Now, the word foothold is topos in Greek, T-O-P-O-S. It's used 93 times, I think, in the New Testament. 99% of the accounts of topos means room, region, space, or place. So here's what Paul is saying. And if, you, if your audience wants to do this, just go down to verse 30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit until the, right, who you have until the day of redemption. So what Paul says affirms what we see in Luke 13, where you as a Christian can be elected, saved, adopted, and sealed seated with christ in the heavenly realms right like that's all there and if you habitually sin you give room or region to a demonic being in your life who does not own you but can influence you internally and when the demonic come in they grieve the spirit they don't remove the spirit got it <laughs> do i need to pause for a sec no, this is great. This is great. Well, well, I've read the book. Okay. So, <laughs> so oh yeah. Okay. So, so, so here, here's the you. next thing that happens for the audience. That's so, yeah. So here's the wild thing. I can hear someone saying, well, there's no way that God and Satan can share the same space. And I'm like, what Bible are you reading? Mm, yeah. Job chapter one, Jesus and the temptations. And, and by the way, uh, thank God the Holy Spirit doesn't leave every time we're worldly or we sin. Uh, so yeah. if, if our sin, our worldliness would grieve the spirit, why do we think that the satanic is somehow worse than the other two? Hmm. Spiritual conflict is against the world of flesh and the devil, not just the devil. So what we see in the scriptures, and Ananias and Sapphira and Acts are a classic example of this. They were Christians. Yes. You can't say they weren't Christians. They were Christians. And Peter says, how have you let Satan so fill your heart? So what, what we see in the scriptures is a Christian can be positionally correct, but through is the example in Ephesians 4, it's habitual sin like anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, etc. You open a door and the demonic walk in. So the image I use is of a house. Jesus owns the house. He's the owner of the house. He lives in the house. But through our own initiative, knowingly or not, we've opened the left bedroom window. And now we have squatters living in the house that are contaminating the house but don't open it. Why is this important? Because so many of your listeners are now, well, they, they're Baptists. They might not be swearing, but they might be though. They <laughs> may be going, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You're telling me that as a blood-bought predestined follower of Jesus, if I have a massive anger problem, I could actually be having the demonic get in my life? Yes. Mm. And then suddenly all of this opens up to why can't I stop sinning sometimes? Why is my struggle so much crazier than someone else's? Why do I have these weird thoughts every time I'm around a pastor? Every time communion and all these terrible burdened questions that sincere Beth Moore reading Christians want to know and don't know who to talk to 
suddenly get clarified because they've been taught their whole life, Satan can't be in you, Satan can't be in you. So it's got to be something else. But wonder if it isn't something else. Hmm. This should actually describe probably many of our membership meetings. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I just found the whole thing, you know, just reading that okay. and, and listening to you, just the whole, just revolutionary. I think you just now said it opens up a new world, opens up a world of, oh, this is so helpful to understand, you know, experiences that people talk about, experiences that people share and, and even experiences in your own life, you know, and, and, right. and, the, and those kind of things. One of the things that I would love to, to ask you, how can you know, because you, you, you mentioned this in the book, how can you know the difference, say, say somebody comes to you and how can you know the difference between somebody that might have a, say, mental health issue versus yep. a demonic issue? How can you, how can you tell? Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up, because, you know, one of the things that we're so serious about in this church is trying to have a holistic view. We don't over-spiritualize everything. Uh, we believe exercise is important. Mental health is important. We're not anti-medicine at all. We never tell people to get off their meds that are coming to see us. Like we work with psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, uh, we don't have an anti-science worldview at all in, mm -hmm. in this congregation. So let me just say it like this. Number one, um, uh, having this lens is important to see the whole picture. So that's just the starting point that it just needs to be in the golf bag. Uh, number two, it's good to see a doctor. It's good to see a Christian a psychiatrist or a Christian counselor who understands family origin stuff, abuse stuff, trauma stuff. That's all really important. But the thing that we find most difficult is most times, most, sorry, I'll take that back. Many times someone might have mental illness and the demonic at the same time. So here's, again, this, this other uh-oh moment for your free community listening. If you don't believe in all the spiritual gifts, if you're a cessationist, so if you're hanging out a lot with John MacArthur, the Lord blessed him, I look to love to spend eternity with my friend. <laughs> then the problem is, the problem is you don't believe in the gift of discernment. Well, yes. And if you're not empowering people with the gift of discernment, how will you see? Because it says in the New Testament, yes, you can know. Of course, we are discerning through the scriptures, of course. But also there's, there are those given that gift that actually understand source. See, and I'll use the Ananias and Sapphira passage as a really important. I think it's Acts 5. Uh, Peter, and you know the story. I think your audience does. Ananias and Sapphira get jealous of Barnabas, basically. They are, I don't know, they sell a cottage. And they, they just lie about the price. They, that's mm -hmm. all they do. And it's interesting. Peter says two things. He says, why has Satan so filled your heart? And is that really the price? No, it's not. That's the difference, by the way, in charismatic terms between a word of knowledge and discernment. Mm. Discernment is source. So is it God? Is it human? Is it mental? Is it demonic? It's just about the source. Peter also is given information he has no access to about Ananias and Sapphira. That's a word of knowledge. Words of knowledge are information that brings humility or healing, never humiliation, and discernment is about source. You actually see both of those spiritual gifts working in Peter in that moment in a very clear way. If you're in a church, though, that doesn't affirm, mentor, or help those gifts, then you're going to be handicapped when someone says, oh, I have all these weird things happening, hmm. and either you're going to make it all mental or all spiritual versus going, okay, let's talk about your sin life. Let's talk about your family life. Let's do some repentance work. Let's do some mental health work. 
And let's get some people in the room that also have character, that have that spiritual gift. And if you handicap yourself, you handicap yourself. Yeah. 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 And so, so it's so so it sounds like it's a process of of one operating in the gifts of the spirit, being in community with this person, and taking a holistic view where uh, you know right. where we've got all of these you know we other voices and people who are, who are helping us discern the process and, and know the individual and walk with them through it. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying in a church context. Of course, deliverance can be an evangelism thing. God can do something in a moment. I'm just yes. saying, I'm presuming and most people that are listening, this is called a churchology podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that most, I'm trying to paint for you how this is done well. And see here, here's two things just to get your readers thinking, some people who think they have the gift of discernment and love Jesus, the discernment's still not from our side. So I'm just going to throw this grenade out for people to think any gift you had pre-conversion is not from our side. Mm. So I want to say this again, any gift you had pre-conversion is not from our side. So I know lots of witches and psychics who sound just like Christian discerners. <laughs> they almost look identical. That's why the spirit of Christ and antichrist is so close. Yes. The different so it's the power source and the reason. But lots of Christians who have been saved say, "Oh, I, you know, I see dead people, so that's discernment." No, it's not. So you have to give up any experience or gift you had pre-conversion because remember, you get the gifts at conversion when the spirit moves into you. Mm -hmm. So anything pre-conversion, you need to say, "Jesus, get rid of that, please." And that's a whole other podcast we could talk about. Um, uh, but so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is there are these ministries where people try to pray with people in a deliverance type context, but usually they're segregated out of the church. Hmm. And my pleading is no, 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 do it in the church. The, you know, and here's what your readers need to, to your readers, sorry, your, your listeners need to hear. Like someone, if someone's demonized, they're not gross or weird. They just need help. Hmm. And so the most powerful thing that happens up here at Sanctus Church is someone comes into our process, you know, they, they have an issue. We have an intake process, which we won't go into today. You know, we ask them like 200 questions. They go through this Neil Anderson sort of renouncing and closing all these doors. And then there's a, like, we're going to kick these things out. And can you imagine after someone knows all your stuff, like everything, and then the demonica kicked out of you and you come to church next Sunday and the person who helped you sitting beside you says, Hey, 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 Jim, welcome to church. Do you know the power of grace? Yeah. When Jim knows everything and just like, I'm so glad you're worshiping Jesus today. Adam and Eve, the very first thing that happened when they sinned is they hid. <laughs> Hiddenness is the biggest place where evil lives. We know this because of abuse. We know this in toxic cultures. Every time where there's hiddenness, darkness, bad things happen. And so many people continually hide this stuff in the Christian church and feel they can't get help in the Christian church. So they go to these other places and then they're still sort of hidden because someone helped them over here, but no one knows them here. Mm. But this means that the church has to be safe, holistic, understanding, forgiving. Because just, and I just, again, um, not to belong, uh, prolong this, but like, don't presume, I gave you one example of how people are demonized through habitual sin. But remember in the gospels, there were children who were demonized who had done nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't always presume that demonization equals I've done something evil. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times demonization has to do with family history. Demonization has to do with family dedications. Demonization has to do with rape and trauma. 
-hmm. Like one of the things that makes me so angry about this fallen world, because it is a real war, is when someone has gone through abuse or trauma or rape or even slavery in contact, that becomes like an open gash where there's like, you know, when you get a cut and there's bacteria in the wound and it gets infected in those traumatic moments, which were not the person's fault, even in those moments, sometimes the demonic can show up and it's not even their fault because it's a war. It's not fair. This idea of fairness is out the window. This is a, this is not a phony war. This is a real war. Mm-hmm. So we have to be real careful, kids gloves of how we help people, but we have to have this part of it. But that's why we work with nurses or doctors or psychologists, because it should be in tandem, especially in more difficult cases. That's so good. That's so good. John, I would love to uh, ask one more question for you. And sure. that question would be, so what, so, so what does this look like for the follower of Jesus who, as you say in the book, lives in, I'm going to quote your book here, who lives in a world that's saturated with the demonic. And so, you know, maybe some, you know, rhythms, practices, maybe what it looks in your life, what this looks like in your life, you know, however you want to come at that, just for the everyday follower of Jesus. Yeah. Well, number one, every time an angel shows up or God shows up to his people, what does he say? Do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid. Like, Hey, everyone, breathe. You're elected and saved and Jesus is returning. He's going to make all things right. Colossians 2.15 is my favorite verse. That Jesus at the cross mocked and disarmed the principalities and powers and triumphed over them. So number one, please understand, I hate in Christian circles where they say the devil has no teeth. That's just a lie. The devil has lots of teeth. Mm. If that wasn't true, 3,000 Christians would have been murdered last year for their faith globally. Mm. So come on. Of course, you can be touched by the demonic in this world. As, as I'm preaching through Revelation right now, not, you know, that's fun. And I, I'm saying to our congregation in two weeks, never confuse security eternally, safety, and your ceiling. The first and third are guaranteed. The second is not. Mm. Mm-hmm. So just be biblical, be biblical, be biblical. Uh, but here's the rhythms. Live a boring Christian life. Mm. I mean this. Yeah. I mean, like take communion, listen to God's word, be in community, confess your sins one to another, love the poor, put on the armor of God. You know, people ask me all the time, like, how do you live? And oh my gosh, like you must see things all the time in the gap. And I'm like, well, sometimes I do, but I'm not a witch. I'm, you know, remember what the Holy Spirit reveals is his decision. I don't own any gift. You don't own any gift. It's his stuff. But it's the, it's the everyday we, every single act of Christianity is war against the other side. When we love the poor, it's spiritual warfare. When we preach God's word authentically, it's spiritual warfare. When we administrate well, it's spiritual warfare because we're growing the kingdom that invaded the other kingdom. So that's the first thing. Second thing is don't under-exaggerate it and don't over-exaggerate it. Like my wife and I, every night, right? We pray and we pray and we just say, you know, in Jesus name, nothing can be in our house tonight, guard our marriage, you know, and And we fall asleep. Like it's not some massive thing. Like it's just, you know, every time I drive my kids to school, I have a 14 year old, a 12 year old and a 10 year old. All of them don't go to Christian schools. All of them are in very pagan environments. I've never homeschooled. I'm not saying that's wrong, but like they're just in the world. And guess what? We pray on the armor of God every day. Like it's just, you know, James 4, 7, submit yourself. Therefore to God, resist the devil. He will flee. Hmm. You know, uh, James 5, is anyone sick? Go to the elders, confess your sins. Like, this is just the stuff. 
And if you, as I'm talking to you, are panicking because you're like, oh no, everything this guy is saying is my story, then let me just say something to you. Do not be afraid. Don't you think the reason why you're listening to this podcast is Jesus wants to set you free? Mm. Like, what does Jesus say in John 10, 10? I've come to give you life and life abundant. Like, he's not, you're not listening to this podcast so you get fearful. God's letting you hear this podcast so you have a category theologically still to be biblical and orthodox. And yet get help. And basically, make sure your allegiance is right. Jesus, <laughs> confess what you've done if you know anything and ask God to close doors. And then have some people pray of you to tell the thing to go. Like, it's more complicated than that. And yet. And yet. Mm. Uh, John, this has been... This has been so good. Uh, so before we start to record, you mentioned a website that we'll link to in the show notes, uh, experiencedeliverance.com. You know, yeah, experiencedeliverance.com. That's right. Yeah. And there's all kinds of resources yeah, so, there. Go ahead. Yeah. So what we did, yeah. So what we did is uh, there's, a, there's a trailer there. The book is there. And then uh, if you're on Instagram, a deliverance book is just the IG account. And I actually address in these many 15 second snippets, some of this stuff. And then there's another book called Convergence, which is actually the story of our church working through spiritual gifts in a conservative environment. And that website's thrivewithconvergence.com. And these intersect because the first book talks about how we worked out gifts in a safe, healthy, biblical way, uh, still being evangelical and yet now small C Calvinist, conservative, small C contemplative charismatics. We always joke up here, maybe this will offend some people, but we always say, if you could get like Andy Stanley's mega church planning and put it with John Stott's preaching, and then you get Eugene Peterson's reflection and Dallas Willard, and you threw, and then you put in John Wimber with the charismatic stuff and threw them all together. <laughs> that's what our church is like. There you go. No, it is like we worship that's like good. Hillsong. We serve communion like Anglicans. I preach like a Southern Baptist, but I think more Anglican. Um, <laughs> but here nor there, I mean, that's that story. Yeah. And actually deliverance is convergence applied in one environment. And in deliverance, it might help some of your listeners too. Like I walk through the John MacArthur conversation, the Neil Anderson conversation, the Roman Catholic church conversation, the charismatic Chuck Kraft conversation, and then like the Pentecostal shoot them up, like let's just drive them out and walk through each model, strengths, weaknesses, and then sort of where we've landed, I would say in a more holistic way. Um, but I think you'll find yourself in this story uh, in your history, if you have church history, as you read through the book. And last thought is some of you are like, oh, when you get the book, you're like, this is a little heady. Uh, listen, if you got to skip the church history thing, just do it. It happened. <laughs> get on to the other stuff because it might help you. All right. There you go. Sorry about that. Oh, that's good. That's good. John, this has been great. Hey, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been an honor to talk to you. Yeah. God bless you. Thanks for all you do. John's got this great quote, just a simple, profound quote in Deliverance. It says, our denial of and discomfort with evil has actually made us more vulnerable spiritually. And we are reaping the harvest of several centuries of inattention to the full teaching of God's word. And so I would just love to hear what you thought about today's episode. I would love to hear how you're processing it. I'm just so thankful that John is talking about these things, that John's written this book, that we've got this work, and the church doesn't need to have less conversations about these things. 
we need to have more conversations about these things. If you're a church leader, I would love to know, how are you and your team talking about spiritual warfare? How are you and your team, people that you serve with, talking about the powers and principalities that Paul just assumes are realities, Ephesians 6? How are you talking about these things? How are we talking about these things in the world? Or are we just simply talking to getting back to normal? How do we get more people to come back to our church? And um, we're just missing such a huge piece of the conversation that the church needs to have. And so I would love to hear from you. We're on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find it. Links to all of it are in the show notes. In the show notes, we've got a link to the website, experiencedeliverance.com. We've got a link to where you can pick up the book, links to where you can connect with John online. Also, we put some links in there of a few lectures that John recently did at Bridgetown Church on deliverance. Also, there's a Q&A. It's great. Absolutely worth your time. Check it out. Again, it's in the show notes. Hey, if you've got a couple of seconds, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. Let other people know about the podcast. Uh, let's connect online. We'd love to meet you. And new episodes come out every Tuesday. So we will be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Churchology Podcast. Thank you.